1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective,
0: 2020 on Vision. So in some sense continuing our conversation about mandatory vaccinations and you may have caught some of the latest headlines that Virgin is following Qantas in making COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory. Well it seems important for frontline workers in hospitals and aged care to be required to have vaccinations Uh, But now, of course, school teachers are also being required to have vaccination. Well, it appears to be the case that both federal and state governments are turning a blind eye to business taking responsibility for what they think will be a good and profitable business model. But there may be deeper issues at stake in the push for mandatory vaccinations. There is a high-level criticism of our Australian authorities who appear to be trying to achieve a goal of full vaccination by scaring and threatening citizens. The idea of mandatory vaccinations is becoming accepted across Australia as the Prime Minister warns to anticipate more restrictions. Well, our special guest today says this potentially means that the unvaccinated may no longer have unrestricted access to travel or may not be allowed to attend football matches, concerts, festivals and even your favourite restaurant. Now that business has this intrusive power, what does that mean for the ongoing stability of Australia? Well, our special guest today is Gabriel A. Mowens, an expert in constitutional law. He says, in assessing the constitutionality of mandatory vaccination orders, our leaders should consider that the Australian Constitution's purpose is the establishment of a system of checks and balances capable of restricting arbitrary government and ensuring the realisation of the rule of law. So, are the latest moments movements overstepping the bounds of what protects us all as Australians? Are the latest moves to make vaccination mandatory outside of our Constitution's legal institutional framework? Well, Gabriel A. Moens is Emeritus Professor of Law at the University of Queensland and served as Pro-Vice-Chancellor and Dean of Law at Murdoch University. He is the co-author of a seminal work called The Constitution of the Commonwealth of Australia, Annotated. He's also published a novel about the origins of the COVID-19 virus called A Twisted Choice. Uh, Gabriel, we've had you in before and talking about issues to do with the law. Uh, This one is very, very significant because it affects every single person listening to our conversation today those who've been vaccinated and those who haven't. Uh, You've been giving a lot of attention and thought to these things and writing articles about how this sort of thing affects uh, every individual because it goes from the top right down to the grassroots, doesn't it?
1: Uh, yes, I have written uh, quite a number of articles about vaccination. I, uh, most of the articles were written with my colleague Augusto Zimmermann, uh, who is a professor in Perth in Western Australia, and in fact, we have written a very long piece. Uh, 30 pages on the constitutionality of a vaccination in Australia and it will be published in October in Quadrant in the magazine, so people will have an opportunity to read it, but we have written uh, shorter pieces which were published in uh, The Spectator and in Quadrant online. Now, your introduction, Neil, was excessively long. But then again <laughs>
0: <laughs> I often have a long introduction yeah, but, but, but the,
1: then again it was a, a very important issue that we are talking about uh, yeah we are talking not just about uh, constitutional issues but we are also talking about the way in which a vaccination is perceived by people so there is a little bit of psychology and common sense and practicality that is involved in the discussion that we are going to have
0: and does that come down to gabriel the idea that uh, that governments are changing their minds changing directions and uh, as people will remind us there is no rule book because we haven't been this way before or at least not in this sense uh, but uh, but because they're changing their mind changing direction and creating some level of instability is this where we might be thinking about what it is that holds us all together
1: Well, we are obviously not learning from the past, you know. There was a major uh, pandemic, as you well know, in uh, 1919, and it lasted for something like two years, you know. And in fact, pandemics have happened as long as people have been on this planet. However, uh, vaccines have only been around for about 250 years. You may not know this, but Marie Antoinette, who was the Queen of France... Uh, towards the end of uh, the 18th century, Uh, she is the one who lost her head, as you well know. She actually encouraged the king, uh, Philip Louis, as I should rather say, the 16th, to be inoculated against a a smallpox. And smallpox in those days was known as the speckled monster. You know, obviously in those days, uh, the vaccine was uh, very much... uh, experimental, very much like the COVID vaccine today, but it seemed to work, you know. And of course, since the end of the 18th century, uh, we have uh, a vaccine industry. And of course, it has brought us uh, today to the COVID uh, vaccine industry, which seems to be with us for a long time.
0: How are your perceptions, Gabriel, yeah. on the division that is now created in Australia between those uh, who are pushing for mm. vaccination, yes. and of course there are those who will, uh, you know, they'll uh, they'll fight to the death not to be vaccinated. Yes, and, well, <laughs> and that's an interesting way of uh, describing that as well.
1: Fighting to the death to not to be vaccinated—that's an interesting way of putting it. Uh, yeah, but yes, uh, uh, as you have said in your introduction, Neil, uh, our leaders have. Repeatedly stated, you know, that uh, there are no options. Oh, well, there is an option either to get vaccinated or die. It's a very stark option, if I might say, because uh, it means that there is no middle way. And indeed, uh, Australia is being divided between those who fervently oppose. Uh, vaccination And those who want to have a full vaccination rate in order to open up the country, uh, because the country, of course, has not been opened up. We are basically a fortress, Australia, and we have hardly any international links and our people are not able to travel. And our leaders have been telling us, you know, that we must vaccinate. We must bring up the rate to 70, 80, 19%. Otherwise, we won't be able to reopen the country. But you know, we have to consider the consequences of such an approach, the consequences of such a recommendation. If you were to say that those who are unvaccinated will no longer have the privilege of traveling in the future. They may have difficulty accessing shopping centers even, or restaurants, or festivals, or music concerts. Well, then we are, in effect, creating a society uh, which is very similar to an apartheid type situation. Those who are vaccinated and those who are not. And those who are vaccinated will have more freedoms, more rights than other people. I'm not sure that's a healthy development for Australia. Australia has always been known as a country where people are to be treated equally, regardless of race, sexual religion or political allegiances, now it would appear to me that we are going to divide people on the basis of their vaccine status. I think it is an example of overkill. It is a bridge too far. We are simply going too far if we are going to create division in society merely on the, on the ground of a vaccine status. So my view is that I'm not necessarily in favor of creating such a two class society because it can't be in our best interest. If anything here we ought to be afraid of
0: the idea of creating an apartheid state mm. uh, because this idea and sometimes we soften that by talking about a two-tiered state and uh, but when we use the word apartheid state uh, we're thinking of all sorts of historical uh, issues say South Africa mm. and uh, yes. the difference between black and white and uh, and the sorts of Uh, prejudice that grows when you have an apartheid state. Uh, This is a risk. Uh, I wonder, though... Is it just one part of what the government has done with a scare campaign uh, to try and have people vaccinated? Because it seems to be they're moving towards this, you know, there's the carrot and the stick approach. Uh, we use the stick, uh, we'll, we'll scare people, uh, now we'll try and incentivize them to have yes. a vaccine. So is it part of the overall marketing of how people eventually receive an idea or understanding of the vaccination program?
1: It's definitely a marketing exercise you know and uh, people are led to believe that if they are vaccinated they are going to be protected against a dreadful disease but that is not necessarily the case. Uh, If you look at overseas experience like for example Gibraltar, Israel Iceland and a few other countries where the overwhelming majority of people have been vaccinated uh, people still get they still get COVID. They have COVID. They are still able to transmit the disease to other people, and some of them still end up in ICU. So the point is. Uh, that this uh, vaccine, whilst it may well help in many different ways, is still experimental, and we do not seem to know uh, the short-term and certainly not the long-term effects, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I like to be alive in, in 2035, 2040, because then I would be able to assess or reassess the consequences of what we are doing today. We don't know the long-term effects. Uh, that is the full story, you know. Normally, when um, a vaccine is being produced, the trials take about 10 years or more, certainly longer than five years. Now, these vaccines, uh, that includes AstraZeneca, Moderna, Pfizer, have been uh, approved for emergency use. That means all the trials which were expected to be done have not been concluded, have not been completed, you know. So it is experimental. So uh, I, um, I hate to envisage what the, the long-term effects might, might be. So we find ourselves... On the edge of the global
0: pandemic, I mean, yes, uh, listeners today listening to us in New South Wales are experiencing their exposure to the global pandemic. There's listeners in Western Australia or in Queensland or in Tasmania who are saying, we're on the edge of this. We've not even really experienced this yet. So they're finding themselves in the middle of it and looking for leadership from the government uh, and looking for the plan that will bring us through a pandemic experience and out the other side with some ideal of, you know, what we used to think of as normal. So the government has to have a plan. And it'll come under criticism from every side. Yes. I guess where you're coming into the picture here and bringing new light on this and for what listeners may never have even heard or even considered today, what the law might say about government plans to get us through a pandemic. This is where the Constitution comes into play. How can you explain that for us?
1: Well, clearly we need a long-term solution and we are looking towards mm-hmm. the government, you know, and parliaments uh, to provide that solution. Uh, but before I go into the constitutional details, and they are rather complex, that is why I'm trying to avoid talking about <laughs> it, of course. Uh, yep. let, let me just say that at the moment, uh, as far as I understand it, there are something like 1,290 new cases in New South. Wales, that is absolutely dreadful and it is only increasing. However, where I come from, Belgium, you know, every day there are about 2,500 new infections and about four or five people dead, you know and yet you know life goes on as if nothing has happened you know people go to football matches where there are 20,000 people most of them not even uh, wearing a mask you know life goes on as if nothing has happened at all the country clearly has reopened over over there uh the point is, and, and this is an important point, we seem to be obsessed in Australia too much with numbers, you know. As soon as there is one, two, or three, or more infections, uh, our leaders go berserk to some extent, you know. And this is because there is no uh, yeah, final solution uh, yeah, for this particular problem. The only uh, a yeah, temporary solution is lockdown, but you can't keep a country in lockdown. It's an interminable process of lockdowns, you know. It goes on from one lockdown to to another, and it ruins the economy, it uh, wrecks the lives of people, Uh, it creates all sorts of other problems, uh, which otherwise would not have been created. Now, the problem is, you know, that There is no solution because of the constitutional provisions which impact upon a coronavirus, upon vaccine and vaccination. Perhaps you want to talk about that. Well, let's talk about vaccination along
0: the lines of the mandatory mandatory vaccination because I think this is where the challenge is because... While it appears to be, the government seems to understand, this is federal and state governments seem to understand Mm -hmm. that they're not allowed to legislate here. uh, And so they've handballed the responsibility to the business community. And so uh, in my introduction where I was talking about Virgin uh, following Qantas the idea that uh, you know if you want to serve on one of these airplanes you've got to have a vaccination Uh, school teachers are going to come under that Uh, truck drivers uh, doing interstate uh, deliveries they're already under this pressure as well and the government Mm. seems to have given business It said go for it Uh, make your own rules here and that's that's where the issue is.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, governments have effectively delegated the task of vaccination to big business and small businesses. You know, uh, businesses are able to require their employees to be vaccinated. And it may well be part of the employment contract between an employee on the one hand and the corporation or the employer on the other. And this is because uh, governments and parliaments from a constitutional point of view, are not allowed to uh, yeah, compulsorily vaccinate the people because uh, yeah, if a person wants to be vaccinated we have to obtain his or her consent. Now if you would like to know where this comes from from a constitutional point of view it actually comes from uh, section 51 uh, paragraph 22a of the Australian Constitution. Now uh, yes, Section 51, paragraph 22a, uh, was a provision that was incorporated in the Constitution in, 1960, in 1946, after uh, the, the Second World War. And basically, it enables the federal parliament to make laws with respect to pharmaceutical benefits and medical and dental services, but here it comes. I quote, but not so as to authorize any form of civil conscription. I repeat, the government, the parliament, has the power to make laws with respect to medical services, but not so as to authorize any form of civil conscription. So if uh, medical practitioners were compelled by the government to vaccinate the people, then that would clearly be a violation of this important uh, constitutional provision, which, by the way, was interpreted for the first time way back in 1949 in an iconic case known as British Medical Association and Commonwealth. And in that case, Justice Williams stated, and I quote, that uh, this particular provision invalidates all legislation invalidates all legislation which compels medical practitioners or dentists to provide any form of medical service. Of course, uh, medical practitioners are entitled to vaccinate uh, uh, patients, provided the patients or the clients want that service to to be provided by the medical doctor. So that means that uh, the relationship between a doctor and the patients is still very much based on contract, on trust, you know. And it follows therefrom that one could say that there is an implied constitutional rule according to which people have a right not to be vaccinated because it depends very much upon the relationship you know, of trust between medical practitioners and the patients.
0: This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You might have a question for our special guest today, Gabriel A. Moens, Emeritus Professor of Law at the Queensland at the University of Queensland uh, also served as Vice-Chancellor and Dean of Law at Murdoch University. And there's lots of things we could say about Gabriel A. Mowens. He is an expert in constitutional law, and we are talking about mandatory vaccination today and where that sits in the legal framework that governs us as Australians. Taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 You can also leave a question on our Facebook post today. Uh, simply, what question would you like to ask an expert in constitutional law about the developments that you're seeing? Let's take a call and we'll hear from Wendy, who is in Penrith in Sydney. Hello, Wendy. Welcome along. Hi, how are you? Very well, Wendy. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, I've got thoughts, not so much a question, yep. but I think this way... Um, People have the right not to be vaccinated. That's fine. I agree with that. As for mandatory vaccination, yes, I would like to see it. And before you ask, yes, I am double vaccinated. (laughs) Um, The thing is, if you had an animal like a dog or a cat or cattle or sheep or anything like that, there are uh, injections that these dogs and animals have to have to keep um, diseases, deadly diseases away now we don't in when you board those animals and everything proper kennels, the ones and the catteries and animal situations you cannot put your animal in that door unless they have a vaccination certificate so if people come up with that and they accept that, that's fine Why is it the people are now yelling and screaming because they've got to have a vaccination to go on a plane or to go and eat somewhere or to travel here or travel there and they don't want to be vaccinated? Well, they made their choice. Why is it that they're now screaming that they now need to be vaccinated? They were told that the people that own the planes, the the businesses and that that have pulled in these rules, and these are the rules that they do for their own sake and for the sake of others, and uh, the same with the animals, protecting all. Why are they being um, now said, well, it doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not? Well, you're raising some good issues
0: here, Wendy. Let's get a response from our guest. Gabriel, what are your thoughts for Wendy?
1: Well, we have to consider the consequences of vaccination. Once you start with the vaccination, then you probably need a booster every year, you know, so you are saddled with that uh, extra responsibility. Well, we don't really know uh, at, at the moment whether you will need a booster in the first place, but that can reasonably assume that you will need a booster from now on once you start with vaccination. That is why I'm slightly apprehensive when I listen to people who claim that even small children should be vaccinated because once you start doing that, you are essentially compelling them to a life of boosters, you know, uh, which may well affect their long-term development. Uh, And I don't know whether that is a good thing to do. But the important point, and I would like to stress that point, is the principle of human dignity, the principle that the people themselves have the right to make a decision as to whether they should be vaccinated or not, you know. And this is a point that uh, we find not just in the Constitution, but also in the Nuremberg Principles of 1947. The Nuremberg Code, as it is known, was used during the doctor's trials, the Nazi doctor's trials in 1947, and uh, Article 1 of that Nuremberg Code made it perfectly clear that in order for experiments to be carried out on people, they, uh, d- people must give their consent. In fact, the language which is used in the Nuremberg Code in Article 1 says the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential, not just essential, but absolutely essential. Uh, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not against the vaccination at all because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be vaccinated myself. In fact, I have been uh, the recipient of the first jab already uh, because there is a practical element involved, namely, na- na- namely taking advantage of what life has to offer, like, for example, travel.
0: And, of course, it's a health issue, and as you get a few extra ears, a few extra grey hairs, uh, those (laughs) sorts of issues are very, very important for you on a health level. Not for uh, for me.
1: Not for me. I only have white hair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A little snow on the roof. Yes, the snow on the roof, yes. Um, Well, Wendy, just before we let Wendy go, Wendy was talking about animals, animals. we'll want to compulsorily vaccinate some animals uh, through the context that Wendy was talking about. Uh, She's saying... Should that happen with humans? Uh, we're a little different. And when we talk about the dignity of a human being, a little bit different to animals? Well, well, obviously,
1: uh, uh, humans are obviously different to animals. We have a will. We are able to consent or not to consent. Animals obviously don't have that uh, capacity to do so. So clearly, uh, we, we are comparing apples and pears. It's not comparable. Okay,
0: Wendy, thank you so much for great insight there today. Let's take another call. An anonymous caller from Queensland Hello, need to be quick, what are your thoughts?
3: Uh, Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you, yep, what are your thoughts?
3: Um, My question is about the rights of health practitioners to question the science around vaccination Um, We are under a regulatory board We have been warned we're not allowed to say anything against vaccination We're not allowed to question anything against vaccination Um, If we give any information to people in our practice that's against vaccination, they are encouraged to dob in their practitioner. So this is all health professionals in Australia, which is why I've called anonymously, but us health professionals, we'd like to be able to look in a balanced way at the science. So my question is about the rights of health pra- practitioners okay, not... Okay,
0: we're about to go about to news. news. I'll need to get a very quick insight here from Gabriel. Uh, clearly, a doctor, uh, a health practitioner, mm. saying we're bound not to speak out.
1: Well, obviously, that's a very important question. We might come back uh, to it later on today. It is an issue of free speech as well as health.
0: Okay, there are a lot of issues in play, aren't there? I want to thank that anonymous caller from Queensland, a medical practitioner, and our talkback line remains open. Uh, Gabriel, just before we take another call, uh, just before the news, a a, a listener called in, and uh, they're clearly a medical practitioner, feeling as though they are silenced in speaking up. So there is a government narrative or a health narrative in Australia, some doctors will clearly feel as though they are being restricted. You said it's like a freedom of speech issue. How does this fit in with this whole uh, issue of mandatory vaccinations and towing the party line or the government line?
1: Yes, uh sir. Freedom of speech, in my view, is a victim of the pandemic, you know. And indeed, as you said in your introduction, governments are encouraging uh, health workers not to criticize vaccine and the distribution of vaccines. Um, so free speech. Uh, is really part of our legal culture. It is not constitutionally protected, but because it is not constitutionally protected, uh, yeah, we can violate it with impunity, of, of course, you know, uh, yeah, that is uh, the government uh, can make decisions which impact upon freedom of speech without being accused of violating freedom of speech. Uh, There is only political free speech which is protected by the Constitution. And this is because Australia is deemed to be a representative democracy. We are represented in Parliament by people who are elected by us. And therefore, in order to have a representative democracy, we need political free speech. But political free speech is different from commercial free speech or free speech in general. Now, at the risk of taking
0: us down another rabbit hole yes. on the side, uh, when we talk about political free speech, yes. and there will be people who are medical practitioners perhaps listening to us today saying, I agree with that person who called in beforehand and uh, free speech here, I'm hearing you say that our politicians need to be the ones who are taking up the cause of those who may be feeling disadvantaged right now. Yes. And, uh, Maybe a a quick response, if there can be one on this, but when we think of the federal government and we have a uh, non-elected, what we'd call a national cabinet, made up of the premiers of Australia, Mm -hmm. it has seemed to me all along, and I've spoken to uh, other uh, colleagues of yours even, uh, the idea that somehow or other the Labor Party, who is the... Elected opposition of Australia have been left out of a lot of the things that have been going on in the unelected body that's been calling all the shots. Is there an issue here that our elected politicians, even though they be in opposition,
1: seem to not have the same sort of voice that we hope they would? But uh, I'm not sure whether this is correct, because the idea of a national cabinet is uh, to combine uh, all the resources that we have in Australia and to invite not only government members but also opposition members to work together to try to uh, face down the the pandemic. Uh, That is the idea of a national cabinet. And by the way, the national cabinet idea is not something that you find in the constitution. It is something that was dreamt up by our prime minister um and and therefore many if not all of the decisions with regard to the pandemic are taken by uh, the national cabinet and of course as a consequence there are all sorts of conspiracy theories uh, that uh, have come up in the meantime you know whether and if so to what extent the prime minister is influenced by the labor opposition on the national cabinet and and whether he should have a, a f- more firmer approach in order to repel any attacks on his uh, integrity. Taking calls, one eight hundred 316
0: Let's hear from John in Brisbane. Hello, John, welcome. Yeah, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. What are your thoughts, John?
3: Oh, well, just a couple of things. I want to talk about the um the vaccine uh, vaccines, but, I mean, first of all, I want to say, like, our politicians, mate, I don't think any of them are safe. Don't be fooled if you think they're Christians. They're not safe, mate. They don't act like it.
0: Okay, um, yep, yep, and look, you make a good point there because uh, the Prime Minister is a Christian and uh, very public with his faith. Uh, there are other Christians who are a part of the Parliament, um, but, uh, you know, but they're just one amongst many. So, uh, yep, is that your point, John?
3: Did you ever hear about, here? these politicians ever talk about salvation through Jesus Christ alone? they just going to make God of the Church. But that's not really what I want to talk about. I just want to highlight that point. Um... I think it's pretty obvious we're going to have to have these vaccines every year. I don't. It's not being talked about, but it's it's going to be an annual thing, and if we don't have it, it's going to be uh, this year and last year all over again.
0: Uh, well, I guess our Australian population is used to having a flu shot and a booster, and it may be that this is something that's going to be something similar to that ongoing. Anyway, John, uh, good thoughts there. Uh, any response from you? Uh, Not 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 as much. Okay, John, thank you so much for your call. Uh, We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from John in Townsville in Queensland. Hello, John, welcome.
4: Um, um, How are you this afternoon?
0: Uh, Well, it's still morning, but uh, good to hear from you. What are your thoughts?
4: Okay, well, I made a mistake. I I think the the important thing here, I understand the entire um, constitutional aspect, of the law aspect, of whether or not we can go ahead and actually introduce an act of sheer extortion. This this type of activity is nothing short of that. This is like something that you would see out of a, a mafia movie. I got a, a deal you can't refuse, but I digress. My main point is we have to examine on how we got here. It appears to me, or uh, my opinion is, the virus was created for the interd- in, introduction of this injection. I take grave, um, issue with it being calling a vaccine. It is not a vaccine. Vaccines historically have pathogens with the injection. This has no pathogens. This is gene therapy. It, it alters, um, our um, immune system, it creates spike proteins that every cell produces. Now...
0: John, uh, like you, you, uh, there are a lot of people who have doubts about uh, the vaccines and at some point you need to put your trust in some level of expertise that will call the shots on that. And I think we'd uh, say that the TGA has been those who have been uh, given that responsibility to do so. The interesting word, I think, to pick up on here and and, uh, get Gabriel's thoughts, uh, the idea of extortion, uh, the idea that uh, there are people who are compelling others, who are having higher expectations than we ordinarily might think of as free citizens. But, uh, Gabriel, your thoughts for John? Uh,
1: Extortion is a very um, big word, of course, you know. Uh, However, uh, there is some truth in it, uh, because uh, what cannot be done directly by the government cannot be done indirectly either. You know, so obviously if, if you encourage people, perhaps by extortion, to uh, take the vaccine, then that would clearly be an indirect, perhaps even a direct approach taken by the government to increase the number of vaccinations. Now, this is an important point that we should not overlook. What cannot be done by the government directly cannot be done Indirectly. And in fact, this is a point that was made way back in 1949 in the case that I described in the first part of the program. In that case, you know, uh, one of the justices, Justice Webb said, and I quote, if Parliament cannot lawfully do this directly by legal means, it cannot lawfully do this indirectly by creating a situation Uh, like extortion for example which would dramatically but perhaps illegally increase the rate of vaccination in Australia. Powerful insights yes
0: we have our talkback line open right now thank you so much to John for your call let's take another call Kate is in Toowoomba in Queensland hello Kate welcome hello Kate what are your thoughts
3: Hi, I'm actually in Townsville as well. Um, No, uh, my thoughts were just something that um, John from Townsville just mentioned that I wanted to touch on. The medical professional um, who called earlier brought up a really good point, and it's something like, I'm not anti-vax, I'm pro-science. And I think one of the biggest concerns with what's going on now, particularly in the last 18 months, is that one side of science is being silenced. There's censorship going on. And I think where there's risk, there has to be choice. And that's one thing that not a lot of people realise, unless they've walked the road of vaccine injury, is when these vaccines are administered, um, which actually this is not a vaccine in the traditional sense of the word, there is no liability. Um, The pharmaceutical industry is a trillion-dollar industry, yet... No one is liable for any side effects, not the doctor, who, not the nurse who administers it, not even the vaccine company. They are indemnified from all liabilities. So when someone has side effects, I myself am vaccine injured, as are all of my children, there is no one who is liable. That's one thing that's important. And Kate, also-
0: let's keep it at that point there and get a thought or two from Gabriel. Your thoughts for Kate?
1: Well, uh, yeah, obviously, I'm not a medical practitioner, but the point has been made by uh, the uh, speaker that uh, yeah, the vaccine is not really a vaccine, you know. Uh, yeah, I I don't know when uh, medication is likely to be a vaccine. It's probably a vaccine if it cures or it prevents a disease from happening. Clearly, in this particular case, uh, uh, the disease can still happen even if you receive the vaccine. So obviously, uh, I don't know how it sits, you know, from a medical point of view. But uh, we have to trust the science, uh, and uh, they probably know better than we do what needs to be done in this particular space. And brings to light, doesn't it, the
0: importance of a peak body, yes. uh, and we hope that there is accountability there, mm. because the peak body ultimately would be counta- accountable to the government of the day would that be the case yes yes yes.
1: and and of course there was also talk about compensation namely that those who vaccinate people are not likely to be responsible for any of the consequences short or long-term consequences and there may well be a a compensation scheme that the government has in mind or may already have developed
0: thank you to kate in townsville for your call Uh, let's have another call chris is in melbourne hello chris welcome
4: uh, G'day Neil and um, uh, Gabrielle. Yeah, just three quick points. Um, the experimental vaccine, yeah. What about the Nuremberg Code? That's what uh, that was brought in for. Um, people were hanged for that. Um, and secondly, if you're vaccinated, why are you scared of uh, anyone who's not? You know, like if, if I had a gun in my hand, I wouldn't be scared of anyone who doesn't have a gun. You know, so why why are the people who are getting vaccinated demanding that people you know, will not be vaccinated. And thirdly, I see this, it's, it's just like the Garden of Eden, these vaccine passports where Satan is just, you know, holding out that forbidden fruit sort of
0: stuff. You know, they're just... Three quick points, yeah. Chris, I'll get a response from Gabriel. Well,
1: they are very important points, you know. Uh, The Nuremberg Code was developed uh, way back in 1947. And as I said before, it very much requires the consent of uh, the patient uh, if experiments were to take place on them. And that is an important code. However, it has been argued by some people, uh, in fact by AAP-check fact check that uh, the Nuremberg Code is not applicable at all to the COVID uh, situation because the Nuremberg Code was only applicable to experimental uh, medicine or or practice. And the claim has been made that that therefore it is not applicable to COVID-19 situations. However, in my view, the Nuremberg Code may still be relevant simply because the vaccine is indeed still experimental, and therefore it would still come, in my view, under the Nuremberg Code of 1947. But of course, since 1947, we have gone a long way, and another code has been developed by an international body of doctors. But The basic idea that uh, we always need the consent of a patient in order for experiments to take place is uh, a principle that is steadfast. Chris in Melbourne, thank you so much for your call.
0: We'll try and get uh, as many calls in these few minutes as we can. Darren is in Underwood in Queensland. Hello, Darren.
4: Yeah, hi, Neil and um, Gabriel. Yes. It's very informative this morning. Um, Yeah, just quickly... um, Yeah, we were talking earlier about um, how the government's passing the buck Um, and we all probably know people that have jobs working for the government and it seems like teachers and police and different people um, I don't know whether they have a choice or not but um, most of them have to be vaccinated and um, okay, the businesses are now trying to uh, take that responsibility and um, have their um, vaccinated, but um, what's uh, what's people's avenues when um, they don't um, they choose not to be vaccinated, and um, they are ostracised for it, and you know
0: they unable to work. You're making a very good point here because if you do stand up and say I won't have the vaccination, uh, are you facing the sack or suspension or? other disciplinary measures uh, what would your thoughts for Darren
1: be Gabriel? It's uh, interesting that he would say that uh, y- yesterday I looked at a tennis uh, program because the, uh, the American tennis open is on you know and there is one very prominent player Titsipas who proclaimed many many times that under no circumstances he is going to be vaccinated and he has been ridiculed by uh, many Americans and even by the Tennis Federation but the, the same Uh, was basically stated by Djokovic as well, you know, so uh, uh, clearly it is an international uh, um, problem that we are talking about but the the speaker makes a very good point, you know, it is about choice, what happens if we choose not to be vaccinated Uh, well, uh, of course there will be uh, consequences Uh, uh, there may well be an introduction of a passport, health passport, which will extend certain benefits to people who have been vaccinated and those who are not vaccinated will probably be left out. In effect, they will be second-class citizens. You know, there is uh, an important problem in this context that worries me, namely that uh, we have developed an Australian society where People dob in their neighbors, you know, for all sorts of reasons, including those who do not want to be vaccinated. Uh, We have developed a dobbing in. Culture, which, by the way, was not part of Australian culture until about twenty-five years ago, and 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 this is because uh, of our convict times. In convict times, you always looked after your mate, and you definitely did not uh, dob in your mate, even if he had done something wrong. You know. But now we have developed a dobbing in culture. There are even dobbing in lines. You know, uh, yeah, like like a. Uh, uh, at standards for example the 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 health departments they have lines uh and they invite people to complain about the behavior of other people in fact i have to tell you that some of these uh, lines offer um Benefits, financial benefits, uh, if, for example, a successful prosecution can be uh, achieved, you know, uh, this is an unwanted and unpleasant, uncomfortable uh, side effect, I think, of the pandemic that we have created a society where we can't really be certain Of the attitudes and the behavior of our own nature. That, I think, is a very, very serious problem because it is going to infect and fester forever.
0: Worrying developments indeed. Thank you so much to Darren. Let's take one more call. Margaret is in Katanning in Western Australia. Hello, Margaret. Welcome.
3: Hello. Good morning. Beautiful day. I just have a question. My grandson has got a compromised immune system and he's not allowed to get um, this vaccination. Does that mean he can't do any of the things that we being banned from?
1: Well, I, I guess uh, there will be exemptions, and uh, your grandson would be able to take advantage of uh, exemptions uh, even when they are available. Uh, clearly, uh, you know these rules uh, must necessarily have exemptions. One shoe doesn't fit every foot, you know. Uh, yeah, these are policies which, unfortunately, in Australia, are inflexibly administered. We need to bring back flexibility to take account of the personal circumstances of people otherwise we are not going to act equitably uh, and and we are going to disadvantage people for reasons for which they are not responsible themselves we need to be a more humane a more compassionate society and on the basis of what i have seen during the last 18 months you know many australians act cruelly you know by by denying uh, their neighbors' rights, you know, even to the extent, you know, that there is a big fist fight uh, about buying toilet paper, as we have seen. How horrible is that? Mm.
0: Margaret, thank you so much for your call. Let's put a line under any calls and just a couple of minutes for our conversation here. Yeah. Time goes by very quickly. But, mm. uh, Gabriel, coming back to uh, the essence of where we started with our conversation, the idea of mandatory vaccinations, uh, where that sits in Australian law, Uh, the idea that citizens should not be coerced into any medical treatment whatsoever, including vaccination, because it comes between the sacrosanct uh, relationship between patient and doctor. And yes. so the government gets in there and wants yes. to know all the details and wants to dictate the details. Yes. Yes. The government is overstepping Yes. where we would think uh, constitutionally they would lie. How can we sum things up today as to the thought we want to take
1: yeah. with so, us? So from from a constitutional point of view, uh, because of section 51, uh, paragraph 22a, I, uh, the government can't compel medical practitioners to vaccinate people. So that is absolutely clear. And I refer to the 1949 case to make my point. However, what is not so certain, and in fact it is a very much a grey area from a constitutional point of view, and therefore I don't have a clear answer. Uh, it is unclear as to whether the states as opposed to the federal parliament are entitled to bring in laws providing for compulsory vaccination because if you look to the past you know, uh, states or or colonies as they then were, did introduce uh, compulsory vaccination laws way back in 1854, I think Tasmania and, uh, and even Victoria introduced compulsory vaccination against small So there is, of course, a precedent. So this is, from a constitutional point of view, a a weak area, a gray area. And and I think uh, you will hear more about this. My point of view is that Australians do have an implied constitutional right not to be vaccinated on the basis of what the court said way back in 1949. But I admit that I could possibly be wrong. And uh, it takes humility
0: when you're the expert and you say, well, this is my opinion, but I might be wrong. And uh, no doubt there are people on uh, both sides of the debate who will be working very hard to make their point clearly known. I've had the privilege of reading a shorter version of an article that has been written by Gabriel Mowens. Uh, it's about this very issue on mandatory vaccinations. A longer version is coming out, and it'll be, no doubt, uh, that deep academic level which will be uh, speaking into the corridors of power that might cover some of the finer points of what happens in law, and your opinion, no doubt, will be very, very highly sorted. After, Um, Gabriel, uh, there's a couple of things to mention. Uh, Quadrant Online, where listeners today can find a uh, a version of the the shorter version of the conversation we're talking about today. Gabriel A. Moens, look for that name. Um, Gabriel's also written a book called A Twisted Choice, and it's around... It's a novel, uh, but it uh, you wrote that early on in the pandemic and it is around issues to do with COVID-19. A, a quick little uh, description of that for
1: listeners who might want to get a hold of it. Well, a twist that the choice is a thriller... Uh, which deals with the origins of the coronavirus. And uh, although I'm not going to give away the details, let me just tell you that China has something to do with it. Uh, I I think I'm not going to go to China for some time. (laughs) (laughs) They might not let you in.
0: Okay, uh, you'll be able to get that online. Uh, Gabriel A. Moens, it's a twisted choice, uh, Booktopia or Demix. Uh, Keep your eye out and keep your ear out for uh, other opportunities that we'll have to be able to talk to, Gabriel, uh, with regards to things that are developing in our nation. Because all of these issues, they are very complex and uh, wonderful to be able to have some great insights uh, on a program like 2020. So, Gabriel, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. my
1: pleasure.